electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, Jamie Dimon's warning to markets, this is serious. If you really do think that the market is going to demonstrably drop another 20%, is there some upside scenario in this moment? How central banks around the world are trying to tame the inflation beast. The Bank of England, that's a problem. This is scary. And after 16 years of reporting on founders, startups, and tech, CNBC's Julia Borston has put it all in a book. I think the companies that emerge from this next downturn are going to be the ones that are the next generation of Googles and PayPals, and I believe many more of them will be led by women. Lessons from female executives turning the C-suite tables and boosting their bottom lines. This is a book that is inspiring for women, but is educational for men. Those stories, plus the Teenage Index, retail's youngest indicators, and an updated ranking. What's hot? What's not? And who cares, as long as it's comfortable? The headline is, you like Crocs. I do like Crocs. It's Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And right now, the U.S. equity field. The U.S. stock markets started the month of October with a bang. But have now posted four straight losing sessions. The tech lead in NASDAQ on Monday closed at its lowest level in two years. This week at CNBC, we've been asking Wall Street's biggest market voices what this all means for the economy, for the Federal Reserve's next decision on interest rates, and for the chance of a U.S. recession. Like famed trader and billionaire hedge funder Paul Tudor Jones, who you heard on this podcast yesterday. Pals already talked about pain. I take that as a metaphor for a recession. And if we go into recession, that has really negative consequences for a variety of assets. So which- and President of the Chicago Fed, Charles Evans, weighed in. Our restrictive monetary policies are geared towards uh, getting demand more in line with the reduced supply at a time when I'm also hopeful that supply is going to start expanding because of the improvement in the supply chains. The Federal Reserve's vice chair, Lael Brainerd, spoke to a conference of economists yesterday, and she said it is a tough path past this historic inflation. Monetary policy will be restricted for some time to ensure that inflation moves back to target over time. It will take time for the cumulative effect of tighter monetary policy to work through the economy broadly and to bring inflation down. In light of elevated global economic and financial uncertainty moving forward deliberately and in a data-dependent manner will enable us to learn how economic activity, employment, and inflation are adjusting to the cumulative tightening. Some of those global risks Brainerd mentioned are in the United Kingdom. The Bank of England is expanding its emergency bond buying program in a bid to calm the volatile debt market there. A sell-off in bonds, also called gilts in Britain, threatened to ruin some specialized investment vehicles that are widely held by pension funds in the UK. 
The Bank of England said in a statement today, dysfunction in this market and the prospect of self-reinforcing fire sale dynamics pose a material risk to UK financial stability. Of course, the central bank didn't spark the spiral. An economic package from the UK's new leadership did, with PM Liz Truss's support. The new government unveiled a plan for large tax cuts for the wealthy, even as the country struggles with a cost-of-living crisis. Energy prices there are through the roof. Truss has since backed off the tax plan. Now, to bring it all back home, in London yesterday, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon, head of the U.S.'s largest bank by assets, spoke to CNBC reporter Juliana Tattlebaum, and he warned that Americans could be heading into a recession in a few months. Currently, right now, the U.S. economy is actually still doing well. Consumers have money, you know, fiscal stimulus, they still have more than they had before. They're spending 10% more than last year, 35% more than pre-COVID. Their balance sheets are in great shape. Yes, Debt's gone up a little bit, but not nearly to pre-COVID levels. And therefore, even if we go into recession, they're going to be in much better shape than 08 and 09. Companies are in good shape. Credit's very good. Uh, markets are still open, though, rocky and stuff like that. But you, gotta, you, you can't talk about the economy without talking about the stuff in the future. And this is serious stuff, okay? This is inflation, which obviously is you know, changing the effect of those numbers I just told you about. It's rates going up more than people expected already and probably a little bit more from here. It's QT, which we've never had before. Uh, so therefore the unknown effects, and you see it today in bond markets around the world and sovereign markets and people selling US Treasury debt, and it's the war. And these are very, very serious things, which I think are likely to push the US uh, and you know, the world. I mean, Europe is already in a recession, and they're likely to put US in some kind of recession six, nine months from now. The one guarantee, which we've been consistent about, is volatile markets. You're gonna have volatile markets, you've already seen Market's down quite a bit, no IPOs, very little high yield, bridge loans being hung and stuff like that, which is pretty typical, but it's still been orderly. I think it's possible you can see it be disorderly sometime in not too near future. A lot of folks focused on that comment about disorderly, but meantime, Juliana also asked him about the markets. Stock markets, where do you see the trough for the S&P 500? Oh, I don't know. You know look, it, it, it may have ways to go. I mean, it, it really depends on that soft landing, hard landing thing. And since I don't know the answer to that, it's hard for me to answer that. But it, it, could, it could be another easy 20%. And uh, I, you know, I think like the next 20% will be much more painful than the first. Rates going up another 100 basis points are a lot more painful than the first 100 because people aren't used to it. And, you know, um, and I think negative rates, when all is said and done, will, will be a, have been a complete failure. So, yeah. The second 20 yeah. is going to hurt more than the Let's first. Let's add it to the first 20 and becomes 40, which by definition is more. That is true. But I was sort of struck by the comment earlier about the volatility causing Disord- disorderly uh, issues. All you got to do is read about Bank of England right. again, and that scares me. Do you guys remember when Jamie bought stocks in his personal account? As like it was about 10, maybe it's five, 10 years ago, it was in another one of these sell-offs, and right. we made a big deal out of it. Jamie Dimon invested in his own, bought a bunch of blue chips, and we used it as, as was it, and it actually turned out he, he was right. If he knows what he's doing. Well, I, I, I would mean, say he, that's why not, it's so concerning when he says this, because he understands the markets. But, but he's that. not a, you know what, it might be good that he's not 
like a professional market guy because they don't know either. And he said, yeah, it, she asked him, where do you think it's going? He goes, I don't, I don't know. know. That's I don't the first know. Come thing back and he ask said. me. He said, come back and ask me when we figure out if it's a hard 20% on, on 3,600 is I, 700. Another 700 points, that would bring us down to 2,900, yeah. right? That, but that we wasn't were at 2,300. That at, wasn't the call that concerned me, though, the drop of right. a potential 20% of the markets because of exactly but what it could you easily said. Go below it. it could easily go below 3,000, I, I guess. He said things at another part in the interview where he describes what you start to see in the brain breakdown with IPO market closed first that's happened the IPO market closes first that's kind of happened high yield closes second and structured credit that's kind of happened for the most part you know things can get done and then it starts to affect other credit you saw the gilt markets here you see a lack of liquidity in a lot of markets a lot of uh, intermediaries can't intermediate like we used to because of regulations it is going to happen then you see the other credit markets start to slow down he just described this liquidity that's going out like the tide and when you heard first from Ray Dalio a week ago, from right. going from cash is trash to cash is king, Paul Tudor Jones told you yep, yesterday, yesterday that he would listen to him on that, and cash is very important. It's the place to be again. And then Jamie Dimon said in those comments about right. liquidity, if you need money, go out and raise okay, it now. So then the question the liquidity is, is like Aaron. It's you, getting sucked out of the room. So if you're, if you're sitting watching this morning, and every, for so long we have always, um, I think generally, the prevailing view, and I'm not saying we squawk, but we... Uh, public folks in the world of finance have said if you have a portfolio when things are down not always the right time to sell them meaning yeah. not always the right time to actually raise cash if you really do think that the market is going to demonstrably drop another 20 percent potentially be disorderly and that there's going to be lots of other opportunities is is there some upside scenario in this moment that somebody would say is actually a higher there's a higher probability or not even a higher probability, a 50-50 probability that that's the case. And but, I, I wonder I, about I, that. I believe, I, I trust in Jamie's instincts and his read on the financial markets in terms of liquidity and things operating smoothly. I, I think he understands that better than just about anybody. I think his call on the 20% potential drop was not the same. And I think this is a situation where risk assessment kicks in into high gear if you are worried about making sure you always have enough right. liquidity and that's and what that's all what of these guys are bank. looking at the risk assessment factors are, are what I would legendary to. risk manager. risk management yeah the uh, when we were at delivering alpha that very day when the gilts rallied almost the bonds and the yields fell it was like I can't believe that worked because normally the first thing you think of is they're, they're not going to do what they need to do to really stable and so it's been how long? And they, they said, a, what, it was going to end on Friday. They didn't extend it yesterday, so people didn't like that. Yeah. They've been trying, they said they could buy, what, $5 billion a day. They've been getting, they've been buying $700 million. They said they ramped that up to $10 billion, but they're not getting any takers because the pension plans, if they sell here, are going to take it such is a big beat. loss, right. and then they need to match their liabilities right. eventually, again, owning those long gilts, so they're just going to have to buy in it at much higher prices so there it's like you're seeing the classic problem with trying to fix something you know by throwing money at it with the central bank and the pensions can hold out at this point because if they all hold out the bank can't do what it said it was going to do which is uh. to close the window come friday it's it's <laughs> you know they this is where the, right. the no, pension funds actually have more power than the but central it, bank even they do point out in, in various places that the first couple of rounds of, of the central bank saving us doesn't usually work and even uh, you know, our Fed during the pandemic, they announced this, yep. yeah. then they announced this, and that didn't work, then they announced this, and it finally worked. It finally stabilized things, but it's usually not the first time. But 
if we worried about the Thai, like the, the Thai bot, the Thai bot was going to cause a financial or uh, Cypress. Remember, so I thought it was, I was worried about the golf course that there was a problem out there at Cypress Point, but it wasn't. It, it, was, it was this Cypress small country, country <laughs> yes. but that was going to take down the. the Financial. Well, and, and Jamie Dimon so said that the too. Bank of England, that's a problem. Right. This is scary, is it Jamie not? Jamie Dimon said you look to the credit markets for this, maybe the ETFs, maybe it's a country. He doesn't know, but he right. said the credit markets are going to be where it is. And by the way, Juliana Tadebaum did a great job with that interview. Yeah. It was hooked on every well, word going through it. You know, pensions are, are important for p people in the UK. That's the, if that, and it's a big, it's a fairly large amount of money that, that we're talking about. It's just, I don't know. I don't know if that's the beginning of... You see the two Fed people? Yeah, maybe we are going up too quickly. Leo Brannard. Yeah, Leo Brannard and both acknowledging. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, some of the strongest qualities in the C-suite, vulnerability, empathy, and collaboration. Which leaders use the most? CNBC's own Julia Borston looked into it. The leadership traits that these women have are things that men should be emulating. All the data points to the fact that these characteristics are actually more valuable than ever now, not just for women, but also for men. Lessons from Julia's new book, When Women Lead, right after this. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC today with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. Up and Becky. Q. Welcome back, everybody. Our own Julia Borston is out with a new book. It's called When Women Lead, What They Achieve, Why They Succeed, and How We Can Learn From Them. In it, Julia weaves together interviews from more than 60 female leaders and research on funding flows and profits. Joining us right now with more on what she found is Julia Borston. She, of course, is our is CNBC's senior media and tech correspondent and a new author. And Julia, first of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here talking about my new book. Yeah, it's a lot um, of work, I'm sure. 120 people that you interviewed, 120 people, 120 women that you interviewed and other people, too. Um, to me, the thing that's most striking in all of this is just what a small portion of funding actually go to, to women founders. You tracked the fund flows. And it's something like 2% goes to women-led companies. Yeah, last year, $330 billion was invested, uh, venture capital invested in startups. Only 2% of that went to female-led companies. So I was 
thinking, you know, if it's hard enough to grow and scale a business, but if you could define those odds and secure a tiny piece of that 2% and then go on and create a successful company, that means you have defied the odds and would have all of these leadership characteristics that would be valuable for all of us. So I really wanted to dig into that data, dig into those stories, and what I found are these essential leadership traits that are more important now than ever. Like what? Well, for instance, women are more likely to lead with empathy, with vulnerability. Those are crucial traits if you're going to be connecting with your employees and also motivating an increasingly frustrated or maybe burnt out workforce. It's also essential right now to have empathy and connect with your customers. I mean, think about all of the challenges in the economy. So having those traits is really key. Women are also more likely to found purpose-driven companies, and they're also more likely to lead in a communal way. So bringing in perspectives from across their organization rather than simply top-down decision made in the corner office. We have seen more focus on this, I'd say, over the last two or three exactly. years with some funds that are being created specifically to go out and make sure that they're giving um, money to women and minority uh, founders to go through some of these things. My question, though, is when we start talking about liquidity, like we've been doing today with Jamie Dimon talking about the crunch in liquidity that's coming, I mean, these are the type of things where you see progress in very flush times. It probably gets a lot harder when that liquidity dries up. Yeah, I mean, and that's why we saw the percentage of funding going to female-led companies drop from 3% on average over the past decade to drop down to 2% in 2021. Um, we saw the overall pie increase in 2021, but the percentage to female founders declined. But I do think that the characteristics that women lead with are so essential right now, especially the fact that women have traditionally done more with less. They've been able to generate higher profits with lower upfront investment. And if you think about the fact that everyone is going to have less access to capital right now. That trait is essential. Um, and also the fact that, you know, women have a tendency to be scrappier. They've succeeded despite much worse double standards and odds. So I think that there's more resilience right now that will pay off. But you're right. I mean, times are tough, but we always go back to 2008, 2009. The companies that emerged from there were stronger. Back to the first internet bubble and when that burst. I think the companies that emerge from this next downturn are going to be the ones that are the next generation of Googles and PayPals. And I believe that many of them, more, many more of them will be led by women. You have so many people that you talk to, but is there one or two stories that maybe you could highlight? So many phenomenal stories. And these are, many of these stories are angles of on big CEO names that you've heard of, but maybe you didn't know the story. But some of them are CEOs you've never heard of. I think of Toyan Ajayi, who's the CEO of a company called City Block Health. They're actually a Disruptor 50 company. And this is a woman who's transforming the healthcare system. She worked in Sierra Leone, and now she's taking what she learned fixing a pediatric hospital in Sierra Leone to fix the American healthcare system. Uh, and, and she's taking really a long-term approach. The company gets paid on long-term outcomes rather than the volume of care. And they really shift the power dynamic. They go to patients in their homes, which is a totally different approach. Or people like Gwyneth Paltrow, who I interviewed. I talk about how she uses her vulnerability as a superpower. She writes about her experiences and her struggles that makes her vulnerable and more accessible to her fans, but then she also leads with vulnerability, asking questions about all the things she doesn't know, and that opens the door for her employees and, and colleagues to admit what they don't know, too. Is there a lesson for men in this book on the other side of it? I would say there are even more important lessons here for men than for women. This is a book that is inspiring for women, but is educational for men. And what I would say is this, the leadership traits that these women have are things that men should be emulating. All the data points to the fact that these characteristics are actually more valuable than ever now, not just for women, but also for men. So I would say you got to read the book 
and you got to start leading more like a woman. Joe, I see it firsthand. So I'm, I'm watching it in, in my house like 18 hours a day with, with, with my wife. wife. Yeah. She's amazing. I'm Penelope's an entrepreneur for this. Vul vulnerable is not the word uh, that I come up with uh, right away. I, 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 I'm vulnerable, uh, so I got that going for me, I, I think. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing what's happening, and it's, it's great to watch. I think you kind of might have missed out interviewing her, seriously, because this is... I, I'll, read your, I'll interview can, your wife Can you do an epilogue? Yeah. I think, I mean, by the way, I could have interviewed thousands of women and included their stories in the book. The women I, I met and interviewed through this process were remarkable. I'm talking about people transforming the healthcare industry. Women who, you know, there was a woman who, you know, barely escaped dying in an avalanche. And she came back here and founded a water safety company because when she was up in the mountains, she had to boil snow to survive. So the, the, the companies are, are amazing and game-changing. The women are inspirational. And the takeaways for men, I think, are really essential. Why, why did you write this book? Was there something in your own experience? Well, you know what? I've been at CNBC for 16 years. I've interviewed so many phenomenal CEOs, CEOs of big public companies, CEOs of startups as part of the Disruptor 50. And I kept on coming back to the fact that being an entrepreneur takes so much grit, takes so much courage and ingenuity. And then you add the fact that to be a female entrepreneur, you have to go up against these extra odds. I thought these people are not just exceptions. These women are not just exceptions, but they are actually leading in ways that are truly exceptional. And I wanted to learn from them. I would find myself after interviews asking them questions. How did you do it? What was your secret? What's your secret superpower? And then as I dug into those conversations, I thought, this is a book. This is a book that everyone's got to read. And the book is called When Women Lead. It's by our very own Julia Borston. And Julia, congratulations. Thank congratulations. you so much. Very excited We for are you. very excited about Thrilled. it. And thank you for coming in to talk about it. Thank you so much for having me. Still to come on Squawk Pod, get ready to feel old. A teen survey retails powerful young consumers and who wants in on the trends. I've been told repeatedly by my wife that Crocs are unacceptable for me to wear. I don't know if they're cool for you, but for the teen set, they're very cool. CNBC's Courtney Reagan has all the details. Comfort is cool, but maybe not for everyone. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Becky. When we talk about how the consumer is spending, you probably think of a middle-aged American buying groceries, a new car, or maybe filling up with gas. But there's another key segment of the population that drives a lot of commerce. And this morning, we've got new, de new details into how this cohort is spending. Courtney Reagan joins us right now with more on this. And this is pretty important data, Court. It is, Becky. This data has identified trends well in advance of when really most of us have seen them in the market. So this is the Piper Sandler biannual teen survey. Overall, more than 14,000 teens from 47 states tell Piper Sandler they are spending 3% more than they did last fall, but 2% less than the spring, and still well below the 2006 peak teen spending levels. Now, the females, they're the ones leading with spending. Clothing and shoes 
are the big drivers this time around. Nike remains the top brand for clothing and shoes for more than 12 years running. Crocs moves up in preference, along with Crocs acquired Hey Dude brand, which Piper Sandler thinks is actually taking share from VF Corp's Vans as that one moves down in preference. Under Armour drops out of the top 10 favorite shoe brands this time around. Now, the share of spending on clothing for upper-income females hit the highest level in a decade. Nike is tops for apparel, but for the first time, Lululemon surpassed Nike as the favorite athletic apparel brand for the trend-leading upper-income females. Lululemon also unseats American Eagle for the number two clothing spot for the first time, although just barely. Generally, there is a desire for newness in fashion, which is likely the reason that secondhand shopping trends are declining as there's more interest in specialty players like Revolve and Lulu's Fashion Lounge. Those are both publicly traded names too. Beauty spending is up 20% year over year. Ulta remains the top retailer for beauty with ELF the top brand. But Piper Sandler's also says that Cody is a winner, particularly in fragrance, along with Estee Lauder and skincare and hair care. Bath and Body Works was the top fragrance brand for females. And listen to this, a preferred skincare brand for males even though it doesn't even have a face care line yet. So perhaps that's an opportunity that these teens have just identified. <laughs> Becky? Yeah, this is something that we've kind of watched for years, Court, and it has been interesting, the trends that they've picked up on in the past. Um, I guess this time of year in particular, as we get set for the holidays. Absolutely. So it's a uh, Exciting for me that mom jeans are on the way out, but crop tops, unfortunately, are <laughs> oh, getting more goodness. popular. So I hate mom uh, jeans. I mean, you know, I know I don't like mom jeans either, but crop tops aren't exactly tops on my list either. Yeah, but I guess I'm not a teen anymore, so uh, so it makes sense. Good news though, Ryan Reynolds still number one top celebrity, which is good. So the teens have some good taste. Adam Sandler though, moving up to number two from number six. Who knew? Very interesting. That. And ten percent of teens own cryptocurrency. I found that an interesting data point. Uh, Court, the best thing I've heard all day. Bye-bye, mom jeans. Bye-bye. <laughs> hey, Courtney, I got one question for you. Crocs. Yes, Andrew. I've been told repeatedly by my wife that Crocs are unacceptable uh, for me to wear, even though I like to wear Crocs. Well, I know gibbets are like the hottest thing rolling. Those are the little like uh, fun things them. you're supposed to put in Absolutely. them. Is this so? Are we... A, is it acceptable for me to wear Crocs? No. And two, is, is this just a fad? Because I felt like this summer, everybody and their brother and their sister was wearing Crocs. So Crocs are really, really popular with teens. They are actually getting more popular. Crocs also acquired this new brand called Hey Dude that is also getting more popular. So I don't know if they're cool for you, but for the teen set, they're very cool. And Gibbets, Andrew, is one of my favorite success stories of all time. If I, if I am remembering correctly, I believe it was a husband and wife or a mom and dad duo that wanted to sort of dress up their kids' Crocs a billion years ago. Right. They started making the gibbets and now, you know, they're millionaires plus some, I'm sure. So it's, it's cool for the cool kids. So none of us around this table should be wearing Crocs. But can I just say they are so comfortable. They are the I most comfortable. So right. the, the, they really the are. Plastic ones? The most comfortable th things you could with possibly socks. wear. They're really with comfortable socks. with socks. Oh, no, I'm not saying with socks. I'm, no, not with socks. I'm not. That's the only way they're comfortable. Otherwise, you're all sweaty. Sweaty feet. No, I, I think like they're it. It better, much better, more comfortable than a flip-flop. I got. I would say. What's the supermarket oh. chain? The supermarket chain is Vons. I have Vans. Vans. I wear Vans. Yeah, and I wear all, and I, those are total dad. Those used to be cool in the eighties. And for me, I, you know, when I forget to take the gibbets out of the turkey, and then you find it later, and 
Right. Oh, Rosanna, Rosanna Dana. Jib, never right. mind. How do you where liver, do you, heart, we, gizzard? We got to go, but where do you stand Jib, on on Birkenstocks? I would. You'd have I like to Birkenstocks. Kill me. No, to, I like to get those. those on. Oh, come on. They're cool. If I if I go back to, to Boulder and visit. No, you can get them in different colors, like in, in white leather or vegan leather and different things too. Vegan. Our, our girls Joe, pretty cool. Joe in vegan leather leather with some you know shirling inside <laughs> yeah, is with, what I want to see. With Birkenstocks. You really see me doing that? Natalie look really good on them. I, I don't, you know, okay. you know. We digress. We digress. <laughs> That's the pod for today. Thanks so much for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. For the highlights of our three-hour TV broadcast, follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. And check out our feed on Twitter. We're at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.